Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Good to uh, be in the house of God this morning, and I am so thankful for all the teams. Uh, I saw a sign at a different church that said, a little bit of coffee and a lot of Jesus. You know, and I think every single ministry, um, they contribute to creating this atmosphere where we we want to go into um, the Holy of Holies, encounter God through worship, at the same time encounter Jesus. Um, as we are, we are going towards this, this season of mourning, the death of Jesus, as well as celebrating his resurrection. We want to spend, I want to spend today just sort of setting the stage up for that. And to really, I think the death and resurrection of Jesus only makes sense if we understand what Jesus was about, why he really came here for. And I think nothing says what Jesus is about other than his encounters with people that were not like him or were not even like us. So um, if you have your Bible, would you open to John 4? John 4. And this is a famous, famous uh, story that I think pretty much all of you might have came across. And it's the woman at the well. Uh, she's a Samaritan woman. And I want to spend time and, and kind of kind of getting into the story and see what the Bible says about this encounter. So it's kind of a lengthy passage. So I'm going to start with verse one and then I'm going to finish on verse 30. So if you have your Bible, would you, would you follow along? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field of Jacob, um, or near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily besides the well. And about noontime, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew, I want you to pay attention to this, okay? If you only knew the gift God has for you. Can you say that? God has a gift for you. He says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors, uh, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed. And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman replied, or the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus said, Jesus told her, go and get your husband. I don't have any husband, the woman replied. 
Jesus said, you are right when you, don't, when you say you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you were even married, uh, the one you were with now, you aren't even married to the one that you were living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while Samaritans claim that it's here on Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when, when it will no longer matter when you worship the Father, um, whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one who you worship, while Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshippers will worship for the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When He comes, He'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Then His disciples came back. They were shocked to find Him talking to a woman, but none had uh, the nerve to ask Him, What do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from villages to see him. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this amazing encounter. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. And I ask you that this morning you would encounter us like you encounter this woman, God. And Father, you change us, you transform us, that you put everything we have, Father, that we put everything we have in, in relationship with you. Lord, we exalt you. We thank you. In Jesus, we pray and everyone said, amen. It's an amazing story if you think about it. I want to give you a little bit of a history here. A little bit of a background. Uh, we see that Jesus is walking. Uh, he has to go from Judea to Galilee. And normally, in that time, if you're a Pharisee, you would not go through, straight through Samaria. You would go around the Samaria. Even though Samaria, uh, going through, straight through Samaria would take way less. So why would a Jew or why would a Jewish person go around and not cut right through? Well, the history goes that about 700 years before, you know, all the Jews and Samaritans, they sort of lived together. And then there was an invasion by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians came in, and what they've done is basically they've taken over their cities. Now, if we look at the ancient world, we see that the mo- most of the times when people go and conquer a nation, they cared about the cities, not so much about the hillside. They cared about the cities. So they went into Jerusalem and they took the, all the Israelites and they made them or they took them with them. So this was a strategy that Assyrians would employ. And the strategy was this, is if we can remove all these people out of the cities, we can crush their spirit. And not only that, but even if they have the will to fight, well, if they're in a new city amongst the Syrians, so, so they brought them into the city called Babylon. Now, you've heard of, of Babylon before. It was a very corrupt sort of culture. And so they brought all these Israelites into Babylon. And what, what happened there is, is they understood that if they live amongst us, they won't fight for a city that they don't really care about, which is Babylon. So as a way to kind of keep the people under control, the Assyrians will pull them out of their cities, 
right? They would conquer Jerusalem and they would bring them to Babylon. But they didn't really care so much about the hillsides. But Israelites lived there too. So now Israelites are in exile for about 400 years while these other Israelites were left behind, right? And that's now we know them as Samaritans. Now what happened there is that after about 400 years, these Israelites returned back to their land. And they realized that the people that were left behind, they corrupted themselves. They, they set up a new place of worship on this mountain called Gerizim. They actually built sort of a fake temple. And they're like, no, that's not the temple that we should be worshiping at. And they, they sort of intermar- intermarried with other people that did not believe in the same thing. So, so the Jews consider them as half-breed, meaning that they're not really Jews. To make matters worse, the Samaritans, they kind of written their own story in the Jewish kind of like, you know, text so they pretended to be exactly, so, so the Jewish people, they come back and they're like, we were in exile and we've kept our faith. We've kept our culture. We've kept who we are, but you stayed behind. You, you were not taken to exile and you've lost that. You've compromised yourself. Not only that, you've set up fake things. So, so the Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. So, so it's a cultural divide to say the least. It's a very kind of, kind of a hard divide where, where people considered the Samaritans like dogs. Like they consider them as not really anyone they're related to, even though they are somewhat related to, to them. And, and then we, we, this kind of sets the stage when we see Jesus, instead of going around like every single rabbi at that time. Now, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a good teacher. He was considered a rabbi. So instead of actually going around like everyone would do, he cuts through Samaria. And as he cuts through, he encounters this woman at the well. Now, now this woman, you know, he goes up to her and says, can you please give me a drink? Now, if you think about it, right? Like, let's say you're in a subway in New York and you don't know anyone. And let's say your stuff fell over. Most likely people will be nice enough to help you out. Or if you ask someone to help you get up, right? They would probably help you out. So, so this is, you know, when you have someone that's traveling through the desert, that doesn't have a bucket, doesn't have a rope, and he's thirsty, the good thing to do is to, okay, what's the big deal about giving someone some water? So I think this, this alone shows us how, div, like how divided the Jews and Samaritans were, where Jesus says, can you please give me some to drink? And she says, you're a Jew. I mean, you consider us tainted. Don't you think that my water would be tainted too? Why would you ever want to drink from me? So, so we can see that automatically there's, there's tension here. There's automatically, you know, something that, oh, maybe is not right. And Jesus looks at her and says, he says this, these powerful words that I think, uh, to me, speaks this morning. When she says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God, or the gift that God has for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask him, and I would give you living water. 
Now, in the Hebrew text, uh, we have this kind of idea of living waters. Now, we also have a reference to still waters. Still waters, if you think of Psalms, for example, right? Like Psalm says that a good pastor or a good shepherd, right, leads his sheep to still waters. Now, well, what does that mean? It means that that was sort of like a, a water, more, more like a lake that was still, because a lot of the sheep, they'll be startled if the water will be running, right? So we have this kind of two contrasted ideas. On one hand, we have still water, and then living water would be like walking through a desert and you found this fresh spring that gives you, and a lot of times we have this imagery, but Jesus is not even talking about just that fresh spring because even in the Jewish culture, everyone wanted to have, especially with water being so scarce and, and being so hot there, everyone wanted to have a spring of water in, you know, in, in their property, especially when you are so thirsty. But Jesus goes a bit further and says, if you, if you only knew who you're talking to, you would ask him, and I can give you living water. You see, she came there with her jar to just receive a daily dose of something to keep her alive. Um, just recently, my car broke down, and uh, apparently I didn't pray hard enough for it. Uh, but my car bro- broke down, and, and I had to rent a car. And I thought I'm going to rent it for a couple of days until I find a new car. But it just so happened that those couple of days turned into about three weeks. And actually, one of my friends was making fun of me saying, like, you're probably going to spend more time, more money on the rental than you're going to spend on a new car. Um, so after three weeks or so, after every single time looking at my statement on my, on my bank account, I'm like, okay, there's, there goes another $130 per week, you know? And I'm like, man, how long am I going to keep on paying for, for this car, right? And then when I got a car, I was so rejoicing because I'm like, I no longer have to pay that bill for renting the car, even though I still kind of paid, you know, I think a lot of money for a new car. Well, it wasn't exactly new and it was a lot of money, but still. (laughs) But I even think a time before that when I actually took a car in payments and for about four years, I kept on paying it. And I was just like, it got to a point, I'm like, how long do I have to pay on this? And then when that car finally became mine, I'm like, okay, I can drive it as, as long as I want. You know, and we have the same idea here that she would constantly go to this water now, uh, to this well, to this water source to get the daily dose of water. Now, I lived in Moldova for about 15 years and we didn't have tap water. So if you wanted to drink water, you had to go to the well. And the worst thing you could do is wake up in the morning really parched and then realize that there's no more water left. And you have to go to the well and drop the bucket and pull it up. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but you pull it up and then you, you carry this water and you always have a debate. If, do you take two buckets? Cause it's going to be a lot slower. If you take one, it's going to be faster. You have to do two trips. And it's just, it's just, and if you have to take a shower, that just complicates, complicates things even further, right? Like, uh, so, so it's not a fun experience, but she came there for that. You see, when she encounters Jesus, Jesus says, I can give you something way more that you've never expected what you really came here for, and why God has really ordained this appointment. See, I don't know what her life is like, but what I do know is she was part of a despised people. And this morning, I want to tell you that, no matter where you came from, what background, is if you feel like you kind of maybe resemble more the Samaritan woman, and you feel despised, 
we, we see that in this, the small passage says that it was about noonday, which was really hot outside. And, and people usually didn't go to, I'm not sure exactly why the reason she was there, but some people say it was maybe because she didn't want other people to see who she is. Right? So, so if you are living a sinful lifestyle, you might have this tendency to hide yourself. I'm not going to go to church because people might challenge me and people, and I'm going to go maybe to a place where people will not talk about God. And if you are a religious person, you might avoid the people you don't agree with. You might go around Samaria. But you see, the spirit of Jesus Christ is this, is that he cuts through. He cuts through our cultural divisions. He cuts through our time. He cuts through all these things, all of our denomination differences, right? He cuts through all that. Hey, regardless if you're a Jew or Samaritan, he encounters you where you need to be encountered. And once he encounters you, you'll never be the same. Once you, he encounters you, I don't know what you came here this morning for, but if you encounter Jesus, you leave out of this place unlike you've ever been before. You see, some people might come to church because they just like to network. And maybe you're driven by money. Maybe you came here because you have some kind of pyramid scheme and you really need to network with some people. Maybe that's why you, why you showed up. You know, maybe you're driven by, by, by the wealth to get rich, to have a luxury car, uh, to have an expensive house, to have fine clothing. I'm just saying Ross and Marshall's. They're awesome. You know, I love that place because you can get three pair of pants for 40 bucks. Um, <laughs> fine clothing and things. But see, the thing is, there's nothing wrong in these things in themselves. It's just when you, that's all you're defined by is when they become an idol. Right? And some people are driven by, by power, right? To maybe if you're in leadership at, uh, at some company where if you're in leadership at church, maybe you're driven by having power and authority over people and to just kind of say what's going to happen next. And people say, yes, sir, you're the boss. Maybe you're driven by that. Some people are driven by vanity, fame and, and beauty and popularity. And if you're driven by beauty, again, as I've mentioned before, gravity will take a toll on you like anything else. Right? Like if you're driven by fame, the mob is a very uncontrollable thing. The mob one day will chant, hey, you are the king. And the next day they'll chant, crucify him. So if you're driven by popularity where, where fame, uh, be really careful of that. Once you start a crowd, um, the crowd can just as, as much, you know, I, I, I'm amazed to see some of these stars where people are like, oh, they're so beautiful. They're so awesome until they make one mistake. Until, until they make one mistake and everyone turns around and everyone is posting memes and how horrible they are and how, and it's like, do you realize that that's a person too? And they, yeah, all of us make mistakes. But when they're displayed on national news, so the crowd, getting a crowd might not be as hard, but it's really hard to control. Maybe you're driven by getting ahead and career. And, and getting that education and getting schooling and you spend seven or eight years and to become a doctor, but then you realize that, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about, right? Like you have an athlete that spends eight hours a day practicing for that one 15 second, you know, <laughs> moment of fame when everyone's going to say, yes, he finally made it. She finally made it. They spend years and years and years and years. And the question becomes, how much time do we spend with our Lord? Because this will last for eternity.
right? So if you're driven by, by career, uh, maybe you're driven by being elite and elitism or uh, just to, to have the status. They all, I only drive Porsches and luxury cars and I only do this and I only, maybe you're driven by that. I mean, that goes back to where I'm from a certain family, you know? Uh, it, it's so crazy to think that the Pharisees of this day, you know, they would pray, they would pray, God, just, I am so thankful that it, you didn't make me a Gentile, a woman or a dog. That was their prayer. God, I'm thankful because that I'm not a Gentile. God, I'm thankful because I'm not a woman or a dog. What? God, I'm thankful because I'm not black. God, I'm thankful because I wasn't born. Or, or I was born, you know, in the Russian Pentecostal. We all know the only Russian Pentecostals will be saved. So, right? Like we have this, we, we, we always try to define by our systems and our, our divisions and our cultures and all that. But God cuts through all that and said, no, 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 no. I came to reach you where you're at. And I don't care what you came here for, maybe power, mo- money, uh, career, wealth, <laughs> be famous, or whatever you came here for. I, I know what you need. I'm, the water that I'm going to give you is living water. You no longer have to be defined by those things. Maybe you're defined by nationalism, where I'm just, I'm just Republican and guns. America, like, uh, right? Like, if maybe you're defined by that. And if you're on Facebook, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And if you don't know, most likely we're talking about you. But uh, you're driven by this patriotism. I, I am a Trump supporter or I'm a Hillary supporter or wh- whatever that is. Jesus cuts through all that. He says, I, I, I'm going to give you what you need, not what you think you want. Maybe you're driven by sin. Maybe the whole reason you came here is because of sin. Maybe you were hoping to meet some girl here or I don't know, that's I don't want I don't ever want to think that anybody comes to church for that. But I think I've long I lived long enough not to be naive to know that people are driven by sin, by greed, by sexual desires that are uncontrollable, you know, by gossip, by slander, by arrogance, abuse of others. I don't know what you came here for, but I know what Jesus came to do. And he's going to encounter and he's going to blow all these things out of the water. So, so maybe you're rich, maybe this or that. In Christ, we're all brothers and sisters. In Christ, he came to give you a hope that doesn't just last for half an hour. That doesn't just quench your thirst for another day. It quenches your thirst for eternity. It doesn't just define you for that one moment. It defines you for eternity. He came to give you. Look at this, this passage that I love so much where Jesus says that, you know, you know, I came to give, uh, cause, cause the woman throws all these objections out, right? Jesus says, anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water, I will, uh, it will, ne- they will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I uh, this last couple of weeks have been kind of sad in our community. Um, you probably have heard, but 
Uh, about two weeks ago, I went to a youth service on, on a Thursday night, and um, this this guy was preaching. He's a youth pastor at a different, uh, different church, and he was preaching how good God is and how Satan wanted to destroy his life, but God is good all the time. He, he, he just kept on declaring that over and over and over, and it was a powerful message. And after that, I went to meet him, and he says, oh, you're a youth pastor? I'm a youth pastor too. And then this kid walks up, and he says, hey, I'm Eddie. And I'm like, hey, Eddie. And he says, well, I'm actually, that's my dad, so I'm Anatoly's son. I'm like, that's great. So I, I get to talk to him for about maybe, you know, some 15 or 20 minutes or so. We, we kind of catch up, and uh, we, we talk about ministry and so on and so forth, right? And then I go to my ministry, which is uh, at that time was, was Canmore for youth service, and I remember I preaching this message that any of us can, can be gone at any moment. The next day, on Saturday morning, I found out that this kid, Eddie, died falling some 600 feet, you know, off the rattlesnake, uh, rattlesnake ledge. And I was just like, I just met him on Thursday. And now he's gone. So next Thursday, I went to the same youth, youth service, and it was a bigger youth service, and it was a memorial of his life. And his dad preached again. He said, God is still good. Regardless of all that I'm going through right now, I know it doesn't seem like it, but God is still good. When you encounter him, he says, this fresh living water that's inside of you. This is, this says God has put in us this hope that we have that anchors us in Hebrews, right? Like this hope is an anchor for our souls. Every single time we want to, we want to go one direction or another, it anchors us in place. We have this, this, this fresh water that's inside of us that no matter what happens around us, we are not thirsty. We are not desperate for attention. We are not desperate for love. We are not desperate for healing and restoration. We are not desperate for transformation. We are not desperate for any of those things. You know why? Because we have the living God inside of us. He gave us a, a water that's going to quench our thirst for eternity. Not just for this moment, but for eternity. I, I love how there's so many people that put this in a better way that I can ever put it. In Solomon Ecclesiastes, well, Psalm, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, Though, um, O Lord, has made us for thyself. I'm sorry, that was actually Augustine. Uh, but in Ecclesiastes it says, For he has set eternity in the hearts of every single man. He put eternity in us. And, and then Augustine says that our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Until you get to taste of this living water, you'll always pursue money, fame, power, all these things, and they will lead you to destruction. They will lead you to disappointment. Why? Because those are only meant to quench your thirst for a certain season, but then they fail. We have to go to the living water source. Yeah, this, this powerful statement by, by this this group of modern philosophers called U2. Uh, I'm sorry, it's actually a band. Uh, but, uh, but the artist uh, Bono, he, he sings this song. He says, I, I've, I've run through the valleys and I've climbed the mountains, but I'm still, I still have not found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He says, I know that you broke the bonds of, uh, uh, the chains of bondage. I know you, carried the cross for my shame, but I still haven't found 
what I'm looking for. To which I reply, wait a second, but I thought that's what Jesus was supposed to do. We see what Bono is speaking of is even though we have this fresh living water spring living inside of us, we still live amongst sinful people and we ourselves sin. We are still longing for that one day that God will put to right every single wrong. Well, God is going to restore every single motive, motive that you're driven by. God's got to heal. So, so, yes, we live in this world of right now, but not yet. We have this hope inside of us, but it's not full. It's not complete until we, we get there. We, until we completely step into glory. But this, this is just, you know, this Holy Spirit that we have inside of us is the seal that, may, that, that gives us assurance that we are saved. That gives us assurance that we have one day that we encounter our Lord and we're not ashamed of Him. And we're not ashamed to, to proclaim that we've walked with Him. This hope that we have within our heart makes even things like death in the family okay. I get to see my dad once again. Anatoly, Pastor Anatoly can see his son once again. If you're dealing with a disease this morning or a sickness, one day God is going to come and restore your body completely. He might do it right now. But you, some people might not have that until you're completely restored into his glory. If you're dealing with sin constantly, you're like, I am just so tired of it. Well, give your life to Jesus, but you'll still be tempted because you live amongst people that are sinful. Our world is still corrupt. So we, we have this constant fight where we know the truth we have within, but then we know that it's not fully, you know, the kingdom is not fully enforced here. God one day is going to deal with Hitler. That gives me hope. Or the spirit of Hitler. God is going to deal with the, uh, the, the spirit of Satan and anyone that sided with him. That's, that gives me hope. God will restore every single one of us. So, so go on. And he says, he's, she says this, but sir, and she still doesn't understand. I, th- I think a lot of times when God starts speaking to us, we don't really fully understand because she doesn't understand. He says, but sir, sir, like, um, um, this water you're speaking of, you have no bucket and you have no rope. Just think of us, you're missing the point here. But, but to understand her, we have to understand where she's coming from. Because you see, the next thing is, she, she says, okay, well, well, give me this water. And she says, um, I, I have no husband. And she automatically, boomers? And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You said that you have no husband because even the person that you're living with right now, that's not your husband. And you had a five before. Now, a lot of people, a lot of theologians, a lot of people speculate and says, well, she's, she's just a very, very promiscuous woman. And she just got married to a whole bunch of people. I don't know. I think the Bible doesn't really give us a clear why she had five husbands. First of all, in modern day, it's very rare that a woman marries five different husbands. It's very rare. In the ancient world, it was even more rare because he was usually the husband who initiated. So I don't really know why she had five husbands. 
what I'm speculating is that, you know, especially given the culture, she would probably get married around 13, 14, which is very young, I know. But that was her culture. And then in her life, she had, and if her, if by chance, all her husband died, that's a woman that went through a lot of loss. So, so I know a lot of times we like to just to look at a person and say, well, you're just a drug addict, and you're just a prostitute, and you're just someone that just gives up on marriages really quickly. But I think all of us know that it's situations are a lot more complicated than that. Humans are a lot more complex than that. So let's just say that she was married to five husbands and they're alive. That means that she was abandoned by five different people. And that's very, that's one very abandoned woman. And she probably went through, okay, maybe this marriage is going to work. Maybe this one glimpse of hope, this, this one's going to work. Because if you know anything about the ancient Jewish culture is you would know that if you don't have a husband, you have no provider to provide for you. That's why Jesus is so passionate about the widow and the orphan. That's why in James 1.27, we have true religion is that of to take care of, of, of the widow and the orphan and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. So, and that's why you see God caring for the widow so much. It's because in the ancient culture, you ha- if you're a widow, you had no one to provide for you. And that was a very, very, very bad place to be in. Sometimes you couldn't get a job. You, you couldn't study. It was a very difficult position to be in. So if she had five husbands and they're all alive, that means she's been really abandoned. And I don't know what the situation with this, this husband right now, maybe they were shackling up, I don't know. But the Bible, I just, I just want to leave you vague because I don't, I don't I, from the text, I can't tell you exactly what the situation was. Needless to say, this is a very hard, I mean, this is a very hard situation and this is a very hurt woman. And Jesus didn't come here to call her out and say, well, you're just so horrible. Because the very, the very fact that he's a rabbi and she's a Samaritan woman, because later on we see the disciples came and they were just astonished. Why would you, why, why were you talking to her? What are you thinking? You're a rabbi. She's, she's, we don't, we don't deal with her. Right? But here's a man who saw her for, for, for the true person who she was she encountered i mean he encountered her and she encountered him and we see uh, as a result we see this amazing you know she goes and says well yeah but if you if you it seemed like you're a prophet but you guys say that we're not we're not following god you say that we have to worship in jerusalem and we say we have to worship on this Mount Gerizim. I don't really know the theology behind it, but that's where my ancestors did. And because there's been already some, almost some hundred years since that happened, right? She doesn't really understand that. And Jesus looks at her and says, look, you know, there comes a time, and this is the powerful line that I love so much. There comes a time that wouldn't matter if you're worshiping in Jerusalem or in Gerizim. You'll worship him in spirit and in truth. There comes a time where you no longer worship as a Moldovian or a Russian or a Bulgarian or an American, but you worship in spirit and in truth. There comes a time where you no longer worship as a Pentecostal or a Baptist. Where there comes a time is now here that you worship him in spirit and in truth. 
there, there comes a time that you're not going to spend, okay, well, I'm a Republican or a Democrat or this. There comes a time when it's here now that God, because God is a spirit, you can worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the things that Jesus came to break down. Because you see, we are defined by who we, who are you in with, and it's us versus them. Jesus came to cross all that. Now I understand, I'm not naive to think that like, oh, we agree with Mormons and so on and so forth. Like that's not the point, you know, I'm trying to make. We have to make sure that we are theologically sound. We have to make sure that the Bible is preached in all its entirety. But when we divide over little differences, that's a problem. We need to give each other. I, I remember how Augustine said this beautifully. He said, in the basics, we have to have unity. And non-essentials or non-basics, we need to have, you know, liberty. And in all things, we have to have charity. We have to have love for one another. Jesus came to give you life in life eternal. Jesus came to give you salvation. And um, now I want to ask you this. I don't know what you came here for, but salvation comes to those who acknowledge him as Messiah. Because this woman says, you see, you, you say all these things, but I know the Messiah is coming. He'll teach, him, teach us all things. And Jesus looks at her and says, I am him. And look at the beautiful picture we see here. She leaves her jar of water she left what she came there for to run back in the city and tell everyone what she encountered that means that you whatever you came here for you're going to come and leave that at the altar leave all your definitions all you're driven by and encounter him you see because few things will happen when you encounter him as Jesus the Messiah. Now, now, Jesus will take care of your daily needs. That's not to say the money is evil. The Bible never says the money is evil. The Bible says the love of money is evil. There's the root of all evil. It's not to say that those things are bad. It's just when we pursue them because we think that that's going to give us that's going to give us life. And then we find out that they won't. She leaves her jar. She leaves that fix. Whatever that fix is for you for two hours, you leave that by the well and say, I met something that's so much more important than what I came here for. When you encounter Jesus for who he is, you no longer have to have Pastor you or me tell you, oh, you should go and preach the gospel because automatically that, that river, I mean, that, that spring of living water will start to spill over everywhere. Did you see what Jesus has done in my life? Can I tell you about his goodness? Can I tell you how he came? He went through Samaria when I had nobody, when, when nobody cared about me, when five husbands abandoned me, and the one that I lived with, I don't even know if he cares me. He crossed all that to reach me. He didn't go around Samaria like everyone else. Didn't, he didn't treat us as a dog or a, 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 a byproduct, where someone that we don't associate ourselves with, or some kind of an enemy. Jesus encountered me where nobody else would. When I was trying to avoid him, when I was trying to go in the noonday instead of the morning or in the evening, when I was trying to completely stay away from anyone because I'm tired of gossip and Jesus came to reach me. 
When I was in my sin and my addiction, Jesus came to reach me. When I I was in my pride and pursuing my career, Jesus came to reach me. That's what Jesus came for. And he says, the water that I give you, (laughs) he'll become a fresh living water. They'll spill over. You won't have to prepare for messages because they'll just flow. You won't have to, you know, I, I was just sitting there and I was, saw Teresa worship and I was like, Lord, like, please, <laughs> I know I don't have the voice that just flows out of you. When you see that Jesus provided you, provided for you, but only that, but you have this eternal, because Teresa's hope is not in, in her house. It's great that she has a roof over her head right now, but her hope is in him and him alone. He's the provider. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. And I'm telling you, the, the only time the Easter will make sense if you understand Jesus for what he really came here for. He's not a vending machine where you pray your prayer, put your prayer in and get, uh, get your need out. He is Lord. He is God. He is a friend. He is a father. Whatever you have been missing, he can fill all those empty spots. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Can I ask you, I, I don't, I can't ca- call you to the altar, but whatever you are right now, don't stand up. Just, just spend a couple of minutes and, and asking the Lord and God's going to bring that thing that maybe you came here for. It's going to be either, maybe, a, maybe a pride issue or maybe a popularity thing, or maybe f- you're driven by fame, money, power, wealth, beauty, whatever you're driven by. Would you come right now to the cross and, and put that in. I'm going to lead you to a prayer and I'm going to hand it to Pastor Yuri. But would you pray with me this morning? Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance. And until next time, God bless you.